Okay, so we're in uh, we're in this series on Joshua, and uh, quick recap: Joshua is the head of Israel. He's taken over from Moses. He's about to lead Israel across the Jordan River into this land that God had promised them, uh, the land of Canaan. And Joshua three is really the, the climax so far of the whole biblical story. If you've read from Genesis through so far to this point, this is the big thing. This is what God's promised. Ever since he appeared to Abraham and said, I'm going to give your descendants this land. I'm going to lead you into this country called Canaan. It's all rolled forward to here. This is what's been anticipated. This is what's been hoped for. This is what generations of Israelites had sat around campfires dreaming of and thinking about and hoping for. And finally, here they are at the edge of the Jordan. And literally, by the time you get to Joshua 3, this nation of Israel, probably upwards of 2 million of them, are camped at the edge of the Jordan River. I mean, they would have been looking out over the river to these these riverbanks on the opposite side, which represented for them the land. Finally, that land, that's the promise. That's the place that God has been talking to us about for half a millennium. And so here they are on the edge of the Jordan and two million Israelites and all their cattle and their resources and men, women and children, their their tents and supplies and everything that they would have had all rustling away. And this incredible sense of anticipation in the camp. Finally, we're about to move forward. And that's kind of, that's really the lower story of what's going on. And then of course, as with every biblical story, there's this upper story, the bigger story of God fulfilling his promises. This isn't just about a bunch of people crossing a river going into a land. This is ultimately about the covenant God fulfilling his promise, making good on his word, keeping his word, moving the story forward, moving the promise forward, moving forward ultimately to Jesus, moving forward his plan of redemptive history. So that's the upper story. And down here in the Jordan is this lower story that's going on. And it starts out with, with Joshua telling these officers, his, his, his four men, his, his officers, to go through the camp. And he says, let's read it actually, Joshua chapter 3, what these officers say to the people in verse 2, uh, verse 3, giving orders to the people, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Now, if, if you listen to the reading that Drew just gave, you'll notice this. This is the first time in Joshua we meet this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. It hasn't appeared so far, and it doesn't appear a whole lot in Joshua, but in this chapter, the Ark of the Covenant is the main character, I mean, other than God. But the, the Ark of the Covenant, this is the, it's mentioned nine times in 17 verses, nine times, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Lord, the Ark of the Lord of the whole earth, on it goes. And this Ark is, is this central thing that's moving and and Israelites are following it and it occupies a prominent place in the story. So we need to understand what this ark is all about. Now, here's the first thing, because I know you're wondering, this is not Noah's ark, okay? We've got to get our arks straight here. If you think, don't get your Bible stories confused, all right? The Israelites are not going to float across the Jordan on the ark. That's That's another one. This is a different ark. This is the ark of the covenant. It's about this. It's a box. It's about the size of your bed. It's a big box. And God had commanded many generations ago for Moses and Aaron to build this box. And it had pole ring holes through it so you could feed poles through so you could carry it because everything was 
mobile for Israel, kind of like you know our setup here. Everything goes in road cases, so it can be wheeled away. That's kind of how they lived. They were a nomadic people. Everything got packed up at the end of the day, even the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, but this Ark, it was a big box, and it had three things in it, permanently in it. There was a jar of manna, which was that stuff they ate that God provided, literally fell from heaven every day, and they, and they ate it. So they, they preserved, I don't know why, science experiment or something, but they had a jar of manna there inside the box. They had Aaron's rod, his, his staff, the Aaron the high priest, uh, which miraculously God had caused to bud, little flower buds uh, in, a, in a previous miracle. So that was in there. And then the tablets of the law, the tablets that Moses had written down, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, and all of the law, that they were in the box too. And the box literally followed, well, they followed the box wherever they went. That was the deal. But far more important than what was in the box is what the box, the ark, represented. And the best way to describe it, I think, is that the ark represented God's empowering presence among the community of Israel. This is really what it was. This was representative and symbolic of the fact that God himself was right here. You could almost use the word incarnate. We don't probably want to use that word because we think of Jesus ultimately being the incarnation. But this was this box represented God's particular presence right here. And it reminded them, whenever they looked at this box, they were reminded of the fact that God's not a distant God. He's not just out there somewhere in another realm off in space doing his thing. He is right here. And we were reminded of that this morning, singing, Holy Spirit, come. We're reminded that God's presence is not, he's not just transcendent, though he is. He is also imminent. He's also near. He's also very, very near. As Paul the Apostle put it, God is not far from any one of us. He's right here. So this is what the ark represented. And it it took up a whole lot of ideas, a whole matrix of ideas. The ark represented God's covenant. To look at the ark was to be reminded of his promises. That's right. God promised the land. He promised to be with us. He promised he'd never leave us. All of those, it triggered all of that stuff. It reminded them of God's holiness. You notice that the Israelites were commanded to leave. uh, It was about 900 meters between them and the ark, which seems a bit strange. I mean, the ark took off and then they would leave a huge distance between between them following it. And this was symbolic of the fact that this represents an incredibly holy God. He is near, but he is also holy. He is other than he is transcendent, and you need to respect that. You need People in the Old Testament, one guy was killed just for mishandling the ark. Pretty severe, but indicative of the fact that this is incredibly holy. It represents the, the sovereignty, the might of God. But then on the other hand, the ark was also the place where once a year the, the priest would sprinkle the blood of a bull to represent the fact that Israel's sin had been done away with. And that even though God was holy, he was also incredibly loving. Incredibly gracious. The Lord is gracious, compassionate. His mercies extend to a thousand generations. Every year, this blood that was sprinkled right there on the top of the ark, it was called uh, the karabat, I think is the Hebrew word, but Martin Luther famously translated it the mercy seat. Wonderful translation. It just captures what, exactly what happened on that top of the ark. Plate of gold, but it was the mercy seat, the place where God came and dissolved the sins of Israel. So they were reminded of that when they looked at the ark as well. And all of that was captured in this idea that here is God's empowering presence. And so it's essential in the story that the ark moves first and and they followed the ark so that there was no mistaking the fact that this crossing of the Jordan, this entry into the land from space outside into sacred space, 
It was the initiative of God. It was the plan of God. God was leading. God is guiding. This is all about Him. This is about Yahweh. We are are just following what He is doing. It's His battle. It's His land. Now, we don't know today where the ark is. It's never been found. It's mentioned various times in the Old Testament, but it hasn't been found. As far as we know, Indiana Jones didn't find it. Uh, he tried, he had a good crack at it, but uh, I don't think he, he didn't quite come up with it either. But that, that, that was the ark that that movie's based around, by the way, if you're still confused about the arks. That was the deal, you know, the lost ark, trying to find the ark of the covenant. Uh, it may be found one day. It's entirely possible. And some people claim to have dug it up and found it, and I'm personally very sceptical of all of those claims. But it's possible that it could be dug up somewhere uh, in the Middle East. Uh, unless it travelled right around the world, but doubtful. Uh, and so it may be. But, you know, the thing is, in biblical history, it doesn't really, even if it was dug up tomorrow, it doesn't really matter. It wouldn't really change anything. There's an interesting verse in Jeremiah, which gives you a hint of this. Jeremiah three sixteen. You don't need to turn there, I'll just read it. In those days, when your numbers have increased greatly in the land, declares the Lord, listen to this, people will no longer say, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It will never enter their minds. Or be remembered. It will not be missed. Nor will another one be made. Pretty gutsy claim, hey? I mean, imagine Jeremiah saying that about this incredible icon of Israel's identity. And he's saying, ah, it's going to be redundant eventually. Not, not because it'll be lost, not because it'll be stolen or damaged, but because it will be succeeded by something else, by something new, by something better. And that something is... No. The Holy Spirit. But of course, the Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. So you can't talk about the Spirit without talking about Jesus. We've been around this trap with the Trinity, you know. You can't talk about Jesus without talking about the Spirit. So, of course, in the first instance, absolutely, it was Jesus. Jesus fulfilled everything the ark was. He was the incarnation of God. You read John 1, and literally it says that the, 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 the Son, uh, the, the Word made flesh, uh, made His presence, made His dwelling among us. He tabernacled among us. Uh, the symbolism is all of the ark and the tabernacle, that Jesus was the ark. He was the tabernacle. He was the manifest presence of God uh, among people on earth for a while. He represented God's perfect holiness. He represented God's perfect love. He was the mediator of the new covenant. He was God's presence among his people. And then Jesus ascends to heaven, and you get to the book of Acts, and Acts has is, is got these interesting parallels with Joshua. Some people call Acts, uh, Joshua, the Acts of the, of the Old Testament. Because in Acts chapter 1, the, uh, the, the risen Jesus, just before he ascends to heaven, he talks to his disciples and he says to them, Now, I want you to wait here, and in a few days' time, you will receive the Spirit. You'll be bap- I'm paraphrasing, but you will be baptized in the Spirit, and then you will be empowered and you'll go out into new territory, uh, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, and so on and so on. And, and they do. You go to Joshua chapter 3. Here's Joshua saying, wait here, and in a few days' time, you're going to see the ark move out. And I want you to follow it into new territory, into new land. You see the parallel? In Acts, God's people are led by the Spirit to claim new territory, new land, for the gospel. In Joshua, God's people are led by the Ark of the Covenant into new land to claim new territory for the kingdom of God. All the parallels are there, and some people go crazy with it, but I think the basic idea is there. 
that the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit that the risen, ascended Son poured out on the people of God at the day of Pentecost, that Spirit is now to us everything and more that the Ark of the Covenant was to Israel. Everything and more. The best description I've ever heard of the Holy Spirit is simple. God's empowering presence. Gordon Fee. God's empowering presence among and within the community of faith. When you became united with Jesus Christ, you received the Holy Spirit in your body. Within your skin, there is this thing. And hey, let me say this. If I, if I, at any stage in this message, refer to the Holy Spirit as it, would you yell at me or throw something at me? Seriously, I'm trying to knock this habit out of myself. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He is a, is a he. And not, not a he as opposed to she. Don't get that. You know, not, that's not the point. Don't get down the gender role. But he as opposed to it. Right? A personal pronoun as opposed to a neuter pronoun. That's the idea. The Holy Spirit is personal. It's not a force. It's not use the force, Luke type thing. The Holy Spirit is personal. He is here. He is within us. He is moving among us. I think the more you talk that way, the easier it becomes to think of the Spirit as personal, as, a, as the living, breathing presence of God, not just a force field. So the Spirit is God's empowering presence among us. And, and the Spirit represents everything that the ark represented. It represents the new covenant. Just as I said it, didn't I? He represents the new covenant, just as the ark represented the old covenant. The very fact that you have the Holy Spirit living, pulsing through your body means that we, the new covenant is here. It's a seal. He's a seal of the new covenant. The new creation is here. It's broken in. The Spirit in the New Testament is the hallmark of this new kingdom that God is building and even more excitingly, the seal of your ownership by God until the day he finally redeems you. It's what the Spirit is. The Spirit represents God's holiness. After all, he is the Holy Spirit, right? Just as the ark, the 900-meter rule, you know, that was the holiness idea. The Spirit is the Holy Spirit. He's here to refine. He's here to purify. He's here to make us like Jesus. He represents all the holiness of God. We've got to be careful getting too chummy-chummy buddy-buddy. This is not Jesus is my boyfriend type stuff. This is the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit is also the love of God. The fact that you possess the Spirit means you are loved, you are chosen, you are redeemed and called and glorified and set apart and every other wonderful adjective of the New Testament. The Spirit testifies to all of that. The very fact that the Spirit is living in your body. That's why Paul, when he writes to the Galatians and they're all screwed up with all kinds of bad theology, he says, just tell me one thing. Have you got the Spirit? Because if you have, you've received it from God by grace, and he goes from there. The Spirit is the starting point. It's the seal of the new covenant. It's God's empowering presence. And here's the deal in, in relation to Joshua 3. The Spirit is not static. All right, The Spirit does not just hang out within your body. He doesn't just come in when you get converted and then just be there and just wait until you die and then he can carry you to heaven. You know, he, he's, he's about more than that. In fact, even now, the Spirit is moving. The Spirit moves. The Spirit prompts. Just as Israel had to watch for the ark to move 
and then respond by following. The most mysterious part, I think, of following Jesus is learning to follow the Spirit, is learning to know when the Spirit is moving, individually, collectively, to know when, when it's the Spirit, because the Spirit nudges, and the Spirit prompts, and the Spirit stirs, and the Spirit leads this way and that. And it, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard to talk about the theology of the Spirit, because Jesus said the Spirit moves where He will, and who can possibly know? So that's the end of the class, you know, well, what do we know? The Spirit, it's mysterious, but the Spirit does, it jostles us and it nudges, He jostles us, He nudges us, He stirs us this way and that way. And the whole process of following Jesus is a process of learning to know when, when is the Spirit moving? And then respond and follow. I went for a haircut this week, some would say about time, and uh, I was sitting in the hairdresser's, do you call it a salon for guys? I don't know. Uh, the hairdresser, the barbershop, whatever. Uh, and I was, I was sitting there, I've had the same hairdresser a few times, and as I was sitting there, I just felt this sense. I can't explain it to you. Was it a feeling? Was it a, what? Well, I don't know. But it was a sense to strike up conversation with this guy that was cutting my hair. Hard to do this with your dentist, I find, but easier with a hairdresser, you know. <laughs> so he, so he was, you know, he wasn't talking, I wasn't talking. I could have quite happily just gone the whole time, you know, I'm not much of a talker in those situations, but I just felt this sense, just strike up conversation. And so I did, I can't remember what I said. <laughs> But we got into a bit of a talk, bit of a, and he's rough as guts, you know, dropping the F-bomb all over the place, and it was just, you know, it was, uh, but I hung in there with it, and uh, listen, listen, it, at the end of the, the whole deal, was, was it a spiritual conversation? No. Did we, did I share the gospel with him? No. Did he become converted and go and share the gospel with 10 of his friends? No. We talked about the economy, we, we talked about house prices, I mean, the most boring stuff in the world. But was the spirit involved? I think so. Can I prove it to you? No. But I, but I think so. Because that, but the spirit isn't just involved in the big life-defining times of a huge decision, this house, that house, this job, that job. You know, The spirit is involved day to day in the rhythm and the ebb and flow of your life and mine as we're going about our stuff. The spirit is moving, just prompting. And you won't always see the fruit of it, and that might be years and years down the track, but the Spirit, just one click here, just one step here. And it's not always about sharing the four or five point gospel presentation and getting the PowerPoint slides out and let me show you this. No, no, just following the Spirit. There's a great song by the Newsboys, which sums this up. I think they capture the, the Spirit uh, of how the Spirit works. And they use the new to pl- pronoun, which is unfortunate, but I'll read it to you anyway. It's not a family trait. It's nothing that I ate, and it didn't come from skating with holy rollers. It's an early warning sign. It keeps my life in line, but it's so hard to define. Never mind. It's just a spirit thing. It's just a holy nudge. It's like a circuit judge in the brain. It's just a spirit thing. It's here to guard my heart. It's just a little hard to explain. It pushes when I quit. It smells a counterfeit. Sometimes it works a bit like a teleprompter. When it's teleprompting you, I pray you'll let it through. And I'll help you with the how, but for now, it's just a spirit thing. It's a cool song. And it just captures how the, the mysterious nature of how the spirit works. It's not always easy to discern, but the better you know Jesus, the easier it will be for you to tune in. And so often we're so busy going about our lives. We're eating, sleeping, walking, talking, buying, selling, laughing, crying. We're not tuned in to this. 
And, and the Spirit is speaking and the Spirit is moving and the Spirit is nudging you and jostling you and maybe warning you, but we're just not even on that frequency. And this is not about getting rid of 10 commitments from your weekly schedule so that you can go and sit at the top of Mount Kilimanjaro and meditate and ask for some divine word. This is about you tuning in to the movement of the Spirit within your everyday life. And there is a wonderful principle here in Joshua 3 of how this often happens. I want to point a couple of things out to you in this story. You notice that when the Israelites are commanded to move, there's three sets of instructions here that are given. First of all, the officers say to the people, when you see the ark moving, follow. Now, do you notice they don't tell them where the ark's going? They don't tell them how they're going to get across the Red Sea. At this point, I mean, we know, oh, the Red Sea, it parted. We look back, but they didn't know. They had no idea that how God was going to get them from here to there. That For all they knew, God was going to take them further up the Jordan to an easier place to cross. All God says to them, to the people, is when you see the ark moving, you follow. That's it. And then Joshua speaks to the priests, the very guys carrying the ark. And he says to them, take up the ark and move out ahead of the people. Again, even the guys carrying, he doesn't say... So what you're going to do is you're going to go through the river and it's going to take about this. They didn't know. They didn't know whether to pack lunch, take a warm jacket. They just didn't know. Joshua says, go and move out ahead of the people. Just start walking. And then God says to Joshua, here's the clincher. Verse 8, tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Just go down there. And stand in the river. God doesn't give them the whole game plan. God doesn't tell them, here's the road map. He doesn't write it out for them. He doesn't produce a detailed 12-point plan for how they're going to get across the Jordan. He just says to them, go and stand in the river. And this is how the Spirit works. We're so unused to this. It's so counterintuitive. Because you think about it, when you, when you buy a house... What do you do? You go and get the limb report. You get a building inspection. You talk to the real estate agent. You check out the, the, the GV. You want to know what recent sales prices. You do your budget. You figure out the repayments. You've got it all set. If, if your doctor says to you, you need this particular surgical procedure, you, you don't just say, oh, that sounds good. When's, when's good for you? How about next Tuesday? You say, hey, what are the side effects? What, what are the risks? How long is it going to take? Uh, what are the things that I need to know? What exactly does it involve? You want to know the whole deal, and so you should. That's good, and that's right. But at the same time, we also possess the Spirit who doesn't work like that. He doesn't give you the end from the beginning. He doesn't tell you all the risks. He doesn't tell you every single step. He just tells you, go and stand in the river. Most of the time, that's all you get. And most of the time, it's not an audible voice, is it? Don't hang out waiting for that because nine times out of ten, it ain't going to be that. It's not going to be angels descending from the ceiling singing hallelujah. It's just going to be that gentle whisper of the Spirit. Sometimes through God placing a name in your mind. Have you had this? Or, or a face in your mind. Someone, you need to connect with them. You need to call them. You need to look them up for coffee. Maybe someone you've never got in touch with for a long time and you think, I don't want to... Go there. I don't know what this is going to be. I don't know where it's going to lead. But God's just saying, just go and stand in the river. 
Just one step. You take one step. Sometimes it's through reading the Scriptures. I don't know whether you've experienced this, but you can be reading something and, and somehow something just clicks inside of you. Maybe a decision you've been wrestling with and you've been trying to figure out which way to go and some, suddenly something just becomes clear and you can just see, I, I need to do this, I need to go here. And, and you don't really know what's happening five steps down the track, but you just know, you just have this overwhelming sense, your own spirit resonating with God's spirit, that you need to just take this step. We need to do this thing. Sometimes it's a warning. Have you had this? I've had this. It's just, you know, you just sense you, you need to get out of this. You know, there have been times when uh, I've been watching something on TV. And, uh, you know, guys, you'd be able to relate to this. Some, you, just, you just have that sense. You need to turn it off. Something, you know, might, might not even be something that, that's dodgy, that's on yet or whatever, but just you need to just turn it off. Spirit is warning. The Spirit, if you're tuned into it, Him, the Spirit, is stirring. The Spirit is warning. The Spirit is leading. And He's seeking to guide you away from things. God hasn't left you on your own to figure life out. God hasn't left you without a helper or an advocate. This is what Jesus meant when He said, I will send to you a helper. It's just that we're not even on that frequency. The airwaves are so jammed with so much stuff, we're not listening. And we need to start tuning into this internal dialogue, this internal rhythm, and moving in the flow of the Spirit. It may even be in a meeting, in the most, quote, secular environment in your life. It may be that just in a business meeting or something, you've, you sense, I need to say this. Uh, we need to do that. It might be to do with the house buying. It might be to do with the surgical procedure. God's not disinterested in that stuff. He, he wants sovereignty over every area of your life. And there is a process of learning to listen and bring the Spirit into every decision and learn the regular rhythm of walking in step with the Spirit as Paul describes it. It can come in such a range of ways, but so often you only get the first step. And it was when the priests took that step, put their feet in the river, that then God cut off the waters way downstream, opened up the river, and the entire nation of Israel crossed through on dry ground. But imagine if the priests had just stood at the edge of the Jordan just waiting. You know, we do this sometimes. God, I'm, I'm ready for a miracle. God, you know, bring this miracle. And God's saying, I want you to be the miracle. You go. I want you to be the answer to your own prayer. Stop just praying about it like you're expecting. Don't, don't pacify yourself. You're an active agent of God's will. And, and often the Spirit is saying, you are going to be the answer to what you are asking for. You are going to be the miracle. Don't just stand around waiting for me to zap him or her or you or them. You move. You, you be the one to speak. You'd be the one to move. If there's someone that there is a need over here, don't just pray, God, you do this, you do that. You move, you go. Listen to the prompting of the Spirit. And I know, I know this is subjective, right? I know this is hard. And I, I know all the arguments that are coming back and you're saying, well, you know, but how do we know when it's the Holy Spirit? And often, you know, we, we have this voice in our head, but I don't really know. Is that the Spirit or is that the butter chicken I ate last night? I don't, I don't know. How do I, how do I discern this thing, you know? And it's true that the Spirit... The voice of the Spirit is filtered through our own subjective human consciousness. That's, that's the reality. We're fallen human beings and we hear the Spirit imperfectly a lot of the time. And I don't, I don't really have the answer to that except to say that the closer you grow to Jesus, the easier it will be for you to hear when the Spirit speaks to you. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Not the ones that are off on some other mountain chewing grass over there, but the, the ones who follow me, the sheep who, who stick with me, 
They'll learn to hear my voice. And as you develop an ever-deepening relationship with Jesus, as you move in close on him, as you lean into that relationship, not immediately, but over time, you'll get better and better at discerning the voice of the Spirit and then responding and then moving out and distinguishing that voice from all the other voices, the ones that are just in your own head, the ones that are coming from outside somewhere. You'll get better at at, at picking it. That's the Spirit that's moving. This is part of maturity in Christ. You're going to get better and better. So don't give up and you'll get it wrong sometimes and that's okay. We fail forward just as long as you fail forward and then next time you'll hear that Spirit just a little bit better. And listen, if you're not sure... A couple of things you can do. One, you can check it against the Word of God. Because the Spirit... See, if if you think, well, I think the Spirit is telling me this situation is hopeless. Probably not. Because that's not what the Word of God ever tells... If if you think the Spirit of God is telling me, I'm probably not forgiven. No, I don't think so. Because you come to the Word. And, and, And this is where we've got to become people of the Spirit and the Word together. The Spirit speaks through the Word, not exclusively, but through the Word... And so as you familiarize yourself, it's a good check, you know. Is this really lining up with the truth of what I see in the Bible? Is this a message of hope and optimism and forward momentum that the Spirit is bringing? And also, listen, if you can, I know, you know, moment by moment it's not easy, but in, at times, check it with someone else. A wise Christian brother or sister, someone a little bit further on in, the, in this whole thing than you, just bounce it off them and say, listen, I think I, the Spirit might just be prompting me here, moving me here, saying this, saying, what do you think? How does that sound to you? Maybe open the Bible together. But use these as checks and balances, especially while you've got your trainer wheels on and you're just trying to figure out how does this all work? I'm just trying to keep in step with the Spirit. Well, don't allow it to become a purely subjective thing. But have the word in one hand and a good Christian friend in in another hand and use those as tools. God's given us his spirit. He's given us his people. He's given us his word. He's given you a brain as well. And sometimes you just need to use your own brain. Right? I heard a wonderful story once. One of the top New Testament scholars in the world. uh, I went and heard him when he was out in Auckland a few years ago. And he was relaying the story of he had his great choice to make in his life when he finished seminary. Would he take a teaching post at this university or at this university? And he prayed and he fasted and he sought the scriptures and he sought the wise counsel of others. And we were all on the edge of our seats waiting to hear, how did you finally make this decision? And he said, yeah, eventually, you know, the deadline for one passed, so I did the other one. <laughs> Surely it was more spiritual than that, you know. But sometimes, you know, you just got to make a decision. And when you're in those intersections, this job, that job, this guy, friend, this girlfriend, whatever, sometimes you pray, you seek the Lord's will, and sometimes you just got to make a decision. You know, Sometimes I think God is saying, either is fine, really. Sometimes I think God's saying, I'm going to get you where I want you eventually, whether you take this way, this way. Look, I don't think there is just always one particular right path in every situation. I think God allows us to wander through the tulips here and the lilies here or whatever, play on the swings, the slide, the whatever. But eventually he'll move us to where he wants us to go. And those times that he does have a specific preference for your life, and it's this. He doesn't play tricks. He's not not the God that hides himself. He doesn't play games with you. He's not going to let you wander outside his will without letting you know about it. So don't freak out. Don't get all stressed. Don't get all flustered. Just learn the rhythm of moving in the Spirit. And maybe today is a day when God is simply saying to you, go and stand in the river. Maybe as you've been listening to this message, the Spirit is speaking. 
And he's saying, yeah, there's something in your life. It's not just theology. This is not abstraction. This is, there's someone. There's something that you need to move towards today. You need to lean into something. There's a conversation. Maybe there's something you need to move away from, a habit, a relationship, some toxic relationship that is not helping. It's not, it's not godly. And, and maybe right now you're just sensing that, that prompting, that tell you, not even, is this really the Holy Spirit? Maybe. Just, just listen and give it some time. We're going to take a few minutes right now to do exactly this. We're simply going to pray. It's, this is not weird. This is not cuckoo. This is not people swinging from the chandeliers. This is just us here, a family, right? A community listening to the Spirit. This is us just taking a moment to free ourselves up, our minds, our hearts, from the clutter and the chaos of our lives and just tuning in to what he may be saying to us even now. And I encourage you, use these few minutes and then we'll just move into communion from there. But use this as a time to really just be wide open before God. God, is there something that you are wanting to say? Is there someone that you're wanting to put on my heart, whatever it is? Father, we open ourselves up to this right now. Holy Spirit, we, we're asking you to come and speak. Holy Spirit, we don't want to contrive anything. We don't want to hear something that's not there and try and force something that's not real. We're simply asking you to speak. If there is something that you want to place on our heart this morning, if there is a way that we need to walk, if there is something we need to go and stand in the river, Lord, make it clear to us. Put it on our heart right now. Lord, let us just have that sense of it. Let us just feel the weight of it in our soul. Let our spirit just testify with your spirit that this is happening and this is, this is real. And give us the courage to respond in these moments. Lord, we don't want to marginalize. We don't want to suppress your voice. We don't want to ignore your voice and pretend like it doesn't matter. Father, we're willing to move on whatever it is you put in front of us today, no matter how terrifying, no matter how difficult and awkward, and no matter how uncertain the steps beyond this one might seem. We just want to be those that are prepared to step into the river and leave the rest with you, trusting that you've got the big picture. You see the end from the beginning. You know what you're doing. And we just need to walk in step with your Spirit. So Holy Spirit, in this time, just in these couple of minutes now, would you come and speak and move? Prompt us and nudge us and guide us in the way that you want us to go.